Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's great conversation is with Kay Kerr. Kay is a freelance writer and author and former community newspaper editor. And today, Kay joins me to discuss her debut novel, Please Don't Hug Me. My name is Andrew Popel, and every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. We record on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, and I want to acknowledge the traditional owners and pay my respects to their ongoing connection to this land. Here on Final Draft, we remain committed to exploring the best of Australia's books, writing and literary culture, as featured on 2SER, whilst maintaining social distancing during this pandemic time. Now, that means I'm recording from home, so please forgive the occasional dip in audio quality. Now, I'm going to keep bringing you the best quality show, and that means the best quality books and the best quality interviews. So if you're loving the show and you want to share these books, these authors, why not share the podcast with a friend, help them discover it? Now, high school is tough for everyone, but Erin has to wonder if someone is trying to make it especially difficult. She's been fired from her job for dropping truth bombs, and her clique of friends are the sort that sometimes you're just better off without. Erin's trying to complete high school, and schoolies is the unofficial official finishing line. Erin is on the autism spectrum, but only a few people know about it. Her best friend, Dee, she's always ready with donuts to help fix a bad day. And her new friend, Aggie, well, she just always knows the right thing to say. But Erin still has to figure out her world and where she fits in it. She has a one-of-a-kind brain, and what she really wants is to talk with her big brother, Rudy, about how he survived high school. Join me as we discover Kay Kerr's Please Don't Hug Me. My name is Andrew Popel and you are listening to Final Draft. It is books, writing and literary culture every week on your airwaves. And I have a fantastic new Australian novel to share with you today. Kay Kerr is a freelance writer. She's an author and a former community newspaper editor. Her debut novel is Please Don't Hug Me. It is out now from Text Publishing. And Kay is joining me online, on the line, from Queensland. Welcome, Kay. Thank you so much for coming on Final Draft. Thank you so much for having me. I am... Um, I have had a wonderful time in the world of Please Don't Hug Me. It is, it is a young adult novel, but as so many YA novels are, they, they just speak so widely to everyone. And I, I might start by introducing our listeners to Erin and to Please Don't Hug Me. It is, it's an epistolary novel from the pen of Erin, of your, your teenage protagonist. Erin's completing high school and schoolies is the unofficial official finishing line. Erin is on the autism spectrum, uh, but only a few people know. She's only shared this with a few. Her best friend, Dee, is always there, always ready with donuts to help fix a bad day. And a new friend, Aggie, well, she just, she just seems to always know the right thing to say. But Erin is still figuring her world out. She has a one-of-a-kind brain. And what she really wants is to talk with her big brother, Rudy, about how he survived high school. You have created something so wonderful in Erin. I have to say you had me with my heart held really close quite often as I was reading. Erin's story is told entirely through letters. It means that we have this really unique look at Erin's life, but also uh, that we're exclusively in her head throughout the novel. Why did you choose to narrate Please Don't Hug Me through Erin's letters? So when I started writing it, it was actually with diary entries, which I guess was a similar form. Um, but as it went along with the plot and that kind of thing, it morphed into these letters to Rudy and that was a better fit. But it was about, I guess, trying to find the truest version of Erin. And when she's in a social setting, she is facing a lot of social difficulties, sensory input, that kind of thing. So she's never going to say 
what she really thinks or how she's feeling in the moment. She's kind of going to go away and she's got, you know, processing issues as well. So she's going to go away and she's going to process it and then she's going to know how she feels about it. So letters were a way to find that truest form of Erin and, and yeah, how to communicate who she is and what she wants. I guess also Erin has in a very large way, um, challenges that we all face in in how we we come to trust people how we come to communicate with people and what we let them know and and in her letters that are written to her older brother she it seems like to me she has the person that she she can trust the most and that she can open up to yeah and i think the rudy not being there and her writing to him is allowing her to say things to him that she wouldn't necessarily or hasn't necessarily said to him in a face-to-face sort of context. So it gives her a little bit of distance, which I find personally being on the autism spectrum, writing has always been um, a way for me to process my feelings or to communicate with people in a really honest way. Yeah, And through her letters, we get to get this really unique insight into Erin's point of view. She is on the autism spectrum and she feels, and she, she is constantly confessing through the letters, she feels that she's kind of out of sync with people, that she needs to sort of have herself ready, scripted to respond to people. And that so people are often confusing. They say one thing with their words while they're saying something completely different with their eyes. Erin's also compassionate and she's constantly trying to be better for herself and for her friends. And that really comes through in her letters. What were you hoping to introduce to the reader here and what do you want them to understand about young people and and people in general who are on the autism spectrum? Yeah, so I guess I wanted to highlight um, that constant level of self-assessment and of inner sort of working that goes along to try and figure out the social constructs around you and how to navigate that. And if you've said the wrong thing or done the wrong thing, you know, how to fix that because that's not necessarily always going to be totally obvious either. So um, I guess just a little bit of the inner workings of, and Erin is one autistic character, so um, it's not a, you know, speaking for every autistic person, but at the same time, it's a little snippet and also sort of a female perspective, I guess. We don't have as many um, books or as much media with representation of girls on the spectrum, so that was important to me as well. Yeah, and I guess that is really important to say this. There's an, an adage that kind of goes along the lines of if you've met one person on the autism spectrum, You've met one person on the autism spectrum. There isn't some sort of blanket that we can throw over over these characters. And there is so much literature that shows that um, females on the spectrum are both potentially underdiagnosed, but also really poorly understood because there are there are all these biases in the data towards males on the spectrum. You know, for for generations of study, it's mostly been focused on on males. So having a character like Erin. Is just absolutely incredible, and she is she is just so wonderful. Characters with the diagnosis are also still really uh, are quite niche and, and even cliched. There are definitely some cliches, and I think um, I read an interview in preparation with this where you you mention one of them, which I think everyone uh, falls onto, which is the the character of Dustin Hoffman's character in Rain Man. Um, what was it like creating Aaron? for you and uh, I understand that you you were diagnosed as you were writing or part of um, you, you know during the long process of writing that was when you received your diagnosis. Yeah so when I first started writing the book I thought I was writing um, about a sort of socially awkward anxious girl and the challenges that she faced and 
as I, I think I was sort of halfway through my first draft or sort of some way through the first draft when separate to that, not because of the writing, but I received my own autism diagnosis. And so once I had the time to process that information about myself, I kind of went, oh, that's what's going on with Erin. Even though the things that she faces are different to the things that I face, I just recognised that those sensory and social issues um, were the things that were popping up for her and were more than just anxiety or awkwardness. Um, so it gave me this new lens to, to look at her story and that's when the book sort of really took off. How did that change the writing for you? Was this a, was this a kill your darlings moment or was it uh, simply that you realised what was happening with Erin in the story that was already, already forming? Yeah, Erin would have been someone that I would have loved to have been in high school, if that makes sense. She was, mm. was a bit of wish fulfilment in some of the, the choices that she makes and the way that she goes about solving her problems. But she's also different in a lot of ways. So it was fun to explore what about if this happened and if you were this kind of person and you met this kind of person and how that would all play out. So it was a very cathartic experience because even though the characters and the things that happen in the book didn't happen to me and aren't people I know, I was still able to use them to process my own feelings about my high school experience and the challenges that I faced at that age and, and even into my 20s without a diagnosis. Um, so it was emotionally exhausting to sort of pick at all those scabs or push at all those bruises and, and sort of readdress all of those hard times. But at the same time, it came away, I came away from it with so much more understanding about myself and, and about autism because I did so much reading about it as well and yeah it was a very healing process i um i liked your comment there where you talked about it being a cathartic experience because i i also found in many of the scenes um there's a particular scene where erin and her group of friends go uh on on sort of a, a trial run of schoolies and they're, they're down in byron bay and the things that are happening and the as erin observes her friends there's a a beautiful logic to the things that she sees that I think many of us can appreciate if we are, say, watching characters in a movie, but so rarely have that insight in our own lives, in our own social situations. And it, it, it is just wonderful. I just, you know, I fell in love with Erin because she was able to, I guess, uh, call, call out, um, at least in her own head, the things that were happening to her in her social group. Yeah, and I think one thing that I found with myself and with other autistic people that I've connected with and talked to about it is that um, we or they are very observant, but, you know, you're naturally observing people because you're looking for ways to blend in and to do the right thing and find mm. find your way. So there's, an, a, yeah, a level of observation of interactions and the weird things that make sense to neurotypical people that don't actually make sense on a broader scale that other people might not necessarily pick up on. I'm sorry. I'm smiling. This radio is a great medium. People can't see me smiling and nodding, but it's just like, <laughs> yes, people do the maddest things sometimes. And it's, it's, it's like a collective hypnosis. Um, I mean, on that, there is a scene where Erin is partying with friends and her reactions are, are not deemed to be acceptable. And she feels um, and I'm going to quote from, from one of her entries, the bad emotions are especially not okay for girls. 
The emotional world is so hard for her and she, she constantly second guesses herself and wonders whether she's offended people far more than she wonders if they've offended her. But this is an insight that I feel many adults are yet to make. Just this idea that there are different emotional standards and that people get away with different things, especially male to female, that sort of divide. Do you feel like we need to better understand the diversity of our emotional world? Not just, not just with a, a label like autism spectrum disorder, but entirely as, as humans. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a wider observation in, um, even in, in books you don't see, and we're just starting to see more angry girl characters and it's amazing. And, I love to read a book with an angry female protagonist in it um, Mm. because even from a really young age, those emotions are shut down in so many girls. You know, it's about placating other people's emotions and it's about smiling and being nice and good and all of those things. So, um, yeah, that's definitely something I wanted to address and want to keep addressing in future books, hopefully, because um, when I guess with Erin's emotions as well, she's kind of, always being told that she's overreacting or she's underreacting or she's not reacting in the right way. So she is sort of almost like gaslighting in the way that she's not able to trust her gut because she's so used to being told that she's reacting the wrong way. Mm. Um, I mean, gaslighting is a particularly uh, poignant term when we look at her relationship with her boyfriend, Mitch, who, I mean, I'm like, I'm, I think people from context will be able to, you know, tell that Mitch is, is, is not a special guy. He's not the one, <laughs> but um, it's especially interesting to look at that, um, look at that divide where Erin is very much uh, trying to find out the emotions that are okay for girls. And that is hurting her in terms of the power dynamic. She is being made powerless. And for Mitch, he is, he is rejecting those sort of that more emotional side of him, which for men often looks like violence. It looks like, lashing um which is just just horrible i mean like you know it's 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 horrible to to be a you know identify as you know a gender that that puts those things on you yeah and i wanted to write like you said i wanted to write mitch from the get-go as a character that people didn't have mixed feelings about um they're in a relationship that's not a good healthy relationship but um, the thing with erin is that she struggles with change and so the idea of breaking away from that relationship is um, a bigger hurdle for her than staying in it, even given its dysfunction. So um, Mitch was, that was kind of his role and and I've definitely fleshed him out, um, keeping those things in mind and people on the spectrum are more likely to to find themselves in relationships that are abusive or that are um, dysfunctional in that way, just statistically. Um, So I guess I wanted to explore a little bit of that when, when you take people at, at what they say and at face value and all of the other little um, things that come along with being autistic, you um, can find yourself in relationships that um, take advantage of you, I guess. Mm. Now, there is, a, there is an arc to Erin's character and there is an arc to the story that I, I think we're going to have to continue to be uh, a little bit... We're not going to give away spoilers. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, so what we, what we are, are left with to talk about to encourage people to read and to give people insight into this incredible book you've created are Erin's interests and points of view. And I think this is a book that loves books. And I feel like Erin will appeal to every lover of books, no matter their age. Erin is always reading. Reading is a comfort to her. There's, there's a moment where Erin is trying to simplify her life, but she gets to this point where she has to claim the only thing I think I won't minimalise are my books. 
they're not the kind of things I can get rid of. Um, I've definitely had my minimalist moments. Um, but look, my library, my library constantly challenges that philosophy. What do books mean to you? And, uh, you know, how, how is that love is something you've incorporated in Please Don't Hug Me? Yeah, I've always loved reading. I have from a really young age, books were always really important to us as kids. They were the mm. special present you got at Christmas or at your birthday. And my parents were avid readers and are avid readers and always bought us beautiful, you know, classic editions and that kind of thing. So I, you know, as soon as I could read, I was reading. And as soon as I could write, I was writing stories. Um, and I guess I, I fell away a little bit from that in high school, disengaged, I guess you would say, um, just because the high school experience wasn't um, one that was overall very great for me. But I found my way back to it and to my love of reading. Um, and I guess, you know, reading is an escape. It's a place that you can go and you can take comfort. And um, from an autistic perspective, if you're having sensory or social overload, reading is a really good way to recharge. So I wanted to give Erin that option. Um, yeah, curl up in your bed with a good book. There's nothing quite like it. I was hoping you could reflect for me. Um, I know my experience of books and particularly the, where books live in my life now, um, if not uh, something that they've always done for me, is that they've helped give me perspective. They've helped me develop insights in, in ways that I could never have just through my, my interactions with other people. And they've been very much an, an, an empathy tool. Um, do you, it, it felt to me like that was something that Aaron got from them, but can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I guess it's a different, it's giving Aaron a neurotypical perspective or a different perspective to look at um, social interactions. Um, and I definitely find that I read and empathize and, and learn about, you know, a lot of different ways of living, like a book that I read recently um, was Sensitive by Elaine Webster. I don't know if you've read that one. I think it's either middle grade or YA, okay. young YA, and it's about a girl that is just starting high school and she's living with um, an intense, like a skin condition, um, and it's not something that I've ever experienced or read much about or, you know, seen in literature, but the book was so beautifully done and such a, a good insight into that experience that I just... I really connected with it and came away with a greater empathy and understanding of what that would be like. Do you, have, do you have any perspective then on that sort of balance and how important you see that balance between books being something that other people can use to gain insight and empathy and then the role that books have in representing? We've already talked a little bit about uh, representation of people on the autism spectrum uh, in literature or, and, and film and, and popular culture and, or maybe the lack thereof. Um, do you have, have any insight into the, the importance of those two things? Yeah, I guess when I was writing Please Don't Hug Me, I wasn't necessarily thinking of the story as a tool for, for building empathy. It was thinking about, I guess, more writing a story that entertained me and I thought would perhaps entertain other people. So it's more in the editing process and looking back in it and looking at what's on the page and what, what that's going to read like to another person that yeah. I sort of realised the weight um, when there aren't many stories out there, this kind of representation, there is sort of, you know, pr not pressure is not the right word, but you want to get it right. You want to make sure that it's, um, it's got a good perspective and it's a sort of healthy, balanced way of looking at it and it's not leaning into stereotypes or anything like that. Mm. 
can imagine I can imagine imagining a readership is not a helpful uh, helpful thing when you're you're writing. And I, I I thought you evoked that beautifully. Where there's this moment later in the novel, and it's not really giving away too much to, to mention that Erin starts a blog for herself. And through this, she writes her first blog post about hugs. Um, and she kind of feels so good about it, but then also looks at the, the hit counter that's really not ticking over particularly fast. But then someone comments and through this, she finds other people who relate to how she feels. And that was, that was just an incredible moment. Like I don't, I don't expect to ever again in my life particularly tear up at the idea of someone getting happy about hits on a blog, but you, you had me there. How, how important is that to, to that idea of sort of finding your tribe and, and having people recognise you and, and recognising them? Yeah, that's a, that's a big thing for me and also for lots of other autistic people is that um, I found a really strong community online, not necessarily through a blog, I haven't got one, but through social media and that kind of thing. Um, connecting with other autistic people and particularly autistic writers. So sharing the things that they're writing and putting out there in the world has been incredible. It's been so affirming and wonderful and confidence boosting um, to be able to talk to people that I know are experiencing things in a similar way to me. So I wanted to give Erin, I guess, a little bit of a taste of that um, on a much smaller scale because really connecting with one person and feeling like you're being seen or you're being understood is the same as connecting with a lot, you know, a much larger group of people. It's the same feeling. It's the sort of same process. So her getting one comment or three views on her blog <laughs> um, is enough to, to help her feel like she's not in it alone, I think. Yeah. And that, that might be, this might be a space where we can sort of um, kind of wind up uh, what we're talking about here with Please Don't Hug Me, that idea of connection and the way that happens. And even if it only happens with, with three or four people, because it can feel like there are so many ways to communicate and many of them are not effective or not helpful. Um, and there's, it's again, just another great quote the, from Erin where she's, she's musing about the way people communicate and communicate with her. She works in retail, which I've never worked in retail, but I so, sort of suspected it was horrid before Erin confirmed it for me. Um, and she says, <laughs> it is. <laughs> I've worked in hospitality and that's horrid enough. I don't know if it's worse that people are drunk or, or not. Um, but she, she says, I'm sick of people not saying what they mean and saying things they don't mean and saying one thing with their eyes and another with their words. This is not limited to people who are autistic. This is something I think we have all touched the surface of where we know someone is, is just bald face lying to us because we can see the blankness in their eyes when they're trying to be enthusiastic or, 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 or seeing their whole manner change. How important, I mean, you have communicated an entire novel to the world. Um, how important do you think that, that getting that communication is right? And, and what insights did you want Erin to impart to us there? Yeah, that's funny that you say that because I just think there's this collective, everybody's agreed that we're just going to go along with it. We're just going to accept mm. that people are going to say that you look great in that dress and you don't look great in that dress. Or, yeah, you know, that's amazing. And they mean the opposite. Um, so I guess I wanted to not decode, but have a look at autistic communication and what that looks like and the directness of it and parts that people find can find upsetting or unnerving or um, not the way they want to communicate and 
maybe neurotypical people might have a look at the way they communicate themselves in comparison and just, I guess, bring it to the surface a little bit more because everybody's making those choices. I just think when you're autistic, you're a lot more aware of the choices that you're making through communication because of the constant assessment of what you're doing and what you're saying. So, yeah, I think we could all think a little bit more about the ways that we communicate and what we mean by doing that. I am speaking with Kay Kerr about her novel, Please Don't Hug Me. It is an absolutely beautiful novel. Her character, Erin, has, has just stolen my heart. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me on Final Draft. And look, I am so happy to this book as widely as I possibly can. It's been fantastic. Thank you so much. That's it for this great conversation with Kay Kerr. Kay's debut novel is Please Don't Hug Me, and it's out now through text. Great Conversations is recorded on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation at two SER's Broadway studios in Sydney, Australia. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. To keep up with the latest in books, writing and literary culture, follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Just look for at Final Draft 2 SER and click subscribe in your podcast app. You'll get a great new great conversation every week. My name is Andrew Popel. I will be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft. So till then, happy reading.